We are on page 295, if you are joining along and reading along with us. This is chapter 33, Babaji Yogi Christ of Modern India. And we're starting at the very end, the last paragraph here. For Babaji also, there is no relativity of past, present, future. From the beginning, he has known all phases of his life. And this is in context and reference to the previous paragraph that we ended at, which said that Jesus Christ knew exactly what his life trajectory was going to be and yet was able to live his, you know, just live out that part so perfectly, so beautifully, so courageously because his life didn't have what we would call a happy ending yeah. or at least how we uh, look at life and how we look at happy endings at all. But imagine that, to know exactly how everything's going to play out and then to still be able to participate with just as much enthusiasm, just as much involvement, just as much compassion, not just like, I already know this is going to happen, you know. Yeah, I know you were going to say that, you know how we are. If somebody tells you what your day is going to pretty much look like, you're like then what's the point? And to be able then still to participate in this flow of life, I mean, that's an amazing thing. Mm -hmm. It really is. We get tired of monotony in three seconds, you know, a little bit. We have to do something more than we want to. And that's it. And that's as far as we can go. Yet accommodating himself to the limited understanding of men, he has played many acts of his divine life in the presence of one or more witnesses. Thus it came about that a disciple of Lahiri Mahashaya was present when Babaji deemed the time to be ripe for him to proclaim, bless you, the possibility of bodily immortality. He uttered this promise before Ram Gopal Mazumdar that it might finally become known for the inspiration of other seeking hearts. Remember Ram Gopal Mazumdar is the sleepless saint. That kind of comic but a little shameful moment when Yogananda asks him, you know, how long he's been meditating and he says, well, you know, I used to meditate 18 hours a day, but then I felt that wasn't quite enough. So now I'm meditating around 20 hours a day and maybe now I'm starting to feel that God is pleased with a little bit of my effort. And you're like, oh, oh, oh no, please don't say these things. <clears throat> so Ram Gopal Mazumdar was there. Interestingly, what, this, what Yogananda is saying here, when Babaji deemed the time to be ripe for him to proclaim the possibility of bodily immortality. The weird part is that Babaji was holding his body in perfect you know, youthfulness for centuries. So as if that's not enough to assume that you know, the body can be immortal. It's at that particular point where he then, as we will see, talks about holding his body infinitely as long as this cycle of creation exists. The great ones speak their words and participate in the seemingly natural course of events solely for the good of man, even as Christ said, Father, I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it that they may believe that thou hast sent me. How sweet. When you see these saints talking about it, I just love the relationship. Such a real relationship. He's just like, they're just always in communion, always really communicating, talking to the infinite and the divine. And Christ is just, you know, as a like, I know you know exactly what I'm saying. You know every thought I think, but because of the benefit of those around, I'm saying these words out loud so that they too know where this energy is coming from, where this divine power comes from. Mm -hmm. Want to no. jump in at any time? Hmm? <laughs> I will. During my visit at Ranbaj, Ranbajpur with Ram Gopal, the sleepless saint, he related this wondrous story of his first meeting with Papaji. I sometimes left my isolated cave to sit at Lahiri Mahashaya's feet in Banaras, Ram Gopal told me. One midnight, as I was silently meditating in a group, in a group of his disciples, the master made a surprising request. Ram Gopal, he said, go at once to the Dasasamed Ghat, bathing ghat. If you've been to Banaras, you will recognize that ghat. 
I soon reached the secluded spot. I'll jump here. Ah. <laughs> okay, there we go. <laughs> I was just thinking yesterday when I read that line, no? I mean, here we have Rangopal Musundar going to Lahiri Mahashaya's living room, his house in Varanasi, just to meditate, to spend the whole night with his guru. And suddenly, when he is meditating, uh, Lahiri Mahashaya says, just go to this place. Just like that. He doesn't give him any explanation. He doesn't tell him why. He doesn't, you know, need to justify why he is requesting this from him. I mean, interrupting his meditation to do something else, to go somewhere else. And I love the fact that the next line is like, I soon reached this secluded spot and made me realize this is the real relationship between uh, guru and disciple. When the guru asks you to do something, to, do, to go somewhere else, you don't question that request. You don't ask him to explain you why. You don't even mentally you know, analyze, well, let's see why he's sending me. You just, okay, the guru says that. I'm ready to do and to go whatever he says or whatever he has requested. And, and I somehow thought like, wow, you know, for some of us, I mean, I was just asking Rajesh, could you just bring something for this table that is not, and I was explaining him all the reasons why I asked him to do this, to do that. And it's so beautiful when the guru just asks something of us and we just do it we don't need any explanation and sometimes the requests are a little bit um, bizarre bizarre <laughs> and to just do it i mean it's the attitude of not questioning your guru's requests and the attitude of willingness and readiness i soon reached the secluded spot and the night was bright with moonlight and the glittering stars. After I had sat in patient silence for a while, is exactly what Narayan is alluding to. He's like, I don't know why I'm here, I'm just sitting here. He's like, imagine, he's like, I wonder how long I have to keep sitting here because he has not mentioned my guru anything. has given me no indication of why I'm here, what I'm supposed to do, how long I'm supposed to be here. And he's just like, after I sat for a while in patient silence, especially since we are working on patience yeah. this week, so Ram Gopal is working with us. My attention was drawn to a huge stone slab near my feet. It rose gradually, revealing an underground cave. As the stone remained balanced in some unknown manner, the draped form of a young and surpassingly lovely woman was levitated from the cave high into the air. Surrounded by a soft halo, she slowly descended in front of me and stood motionless, steeped in an inner state of ecstasy. She finally stirred and spoke gently. I am Mataji, the sister of Babaji. I have asked him and also Lahiri Mahashaya to come to my cave tonight to discuss a matter of great importance. A nebulous light was rapidly floating over the Ganges and the strange lumin lumin luminescence was reflected in the opaque waters. It approached nearer and nearer until with a blinding flash, it appeared by the side of Mataji and condensed itself instantly into the human form of Lahiri Mahashaya. When I was first reading this, you know, you assumed it's going to be Babaji. Yeah. But it's amazing yeah. that it's, oh, it's Lahiri Mahashaya. He's coming as a little light. I mean, he lives like right here. He could come walking. But, you know, across the Ganges, just con converting himself into those light particles, you know, compressing it and then <laughs> reopening all those atoms back to form his body. He bowed humbly at the feet of the woman saint. Before I had recovered from my bewilderment, I was further wonderstruck to behold a circling mass of mystical light traveling in the sky. Descending swiftly, the flaming whirlpool neared our group and materialized itself into the body, into the body of a beautiful youth who I understood at once was Babaji. Of course, this was his first meeting 
so he had never met him before he had never seen him before and up till this point unlike us having some you know that little sketch artist who made babaji's likeness on yogananda's behest they didn't even have anything of that back then he looked like lahiri mahashaya and the only difference being that babaji appeared much younger and had long bright hair i was just thinking about this paragraph i mean it felt like one of those movies no marvels or <laughs> yeah. you know like all these amazing like miracles materializing the materializing bodies and the flash and the light i mean and i was thinking like how beautiful that this has to be witnessed mm. and this had to be described for all of us the disciples to to understand how energy works within our body and how we are truly made and the power that we have over our own physical body i i really appreciate it when when i first read this like so many years ago it just felt so like i don't think this is possible no you your yeah. skeptical minds they are yeah, sure here everyone levitating floating you know beings of light but then you realize like what's happening here uh, yogananda through this episode is describing like almost the essence of um, energy and magnetism and the law of gravity and the the law of speed of light and all that condensed into the human body i mean is this is this is a teaching what we are going to go through and what we are going through is 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 really uh, a teaching you were right about the whole marvel thing you know this is just amazing <laughs> somebody who, you know people have told us about the autobiography i just read it like a novel you know because it's like i couldn't make sense of what's going on so i just assumed it's one of those fantasy novels and i'm just reading it but even us of course you know when we first started it was it wasn't easy to digest but you have to admit there's just a vibration of yeah. truth yeah you know it just comes out you don't know what to do with it you don't it doesn't make any sense to you you can barely get from here to here without your body creaking along but you know when you read this you just feel like wow you know somewhere it there is a soul happen, memory yeah, like it yeah. could be true yeah this feels right this feels right this is how we were meant to travel lahiri mahashaya mataji and myself knelt at the guru's feet i love this whole scene as well <laughs> Lahiri Mahashaya comes he kneels at Mataji's feet now Babaji comes and all three of them are it is just such a sweet i mean they're all like infinitely connected in god but still that reverence from disciple to guru just does not change um it's another coming back to the bible a very interesting story that um yogananda explained that john the baptist again even if you don't know these uh, individuals was um Christ's guru in a previous incarnation and at that incarnation Christ um kind of evolved even more than his own guru remember we talked about jivan mukt param mukt and all those things even right here in the autobiography and even though Christ had evolved more so in consciousness beyond his guru in that incarnation in this incarnation when he was about to start his mission and he was about to start his own work he first comes to john the baptist to receive his blessings and john the baptist says i'm not even worthy now you have attained such a state of consciousness and he says i'm not even worthy you know to tie the straps of your sandals and christ says this is the way of righteousness and for thus is the will of god this is how it needs to happen the guru needs to bless the disciple no matter what even if the disciple surpasses him and i mean it's just that eternal bond is so hard for us to even comprehend a ethereal sensation of beatific glory thrilled every fiber of my being as i touched his divine flesh blessed sister babaji said i am intending to shed my form and plunge into the infinite current I have already glimpsed your plan beloved master. I wanted to discuss it with you tonight. Why should you leave your body? The glorious woman looked at him beseechingly. One second. Let's just pause for a moment here and acknowledge 
the attunement that they have between each other. I mean, it's just like the fact that Mataji inwardly is feeling that, you know, her guru, the great one, is about to transition. Something big is about to happen. And somehow, somewhere, she catches that. You know, she catch, catches that energetic moment that Babaji is trying to tune into God's will. I mean, this is to me is fascinating. I mean, Babaji himself, who he is united with God, he's trying to feel, you know, God's will, should I leave my body or not? And Mataji, his sister, just tuned into that. I mean, and this is kind of a suggestion for each one of us as disciples, you know, how can we more perfectly tune with our Guru's wishes, not just for us individually, but for the work he's trying to accomplish here on earth, the mission that he's trying to expand, um, what he's really trying to do, we you know, with that consciousness. And the more we learn how to do that, we can be part of those moments of spiritual evolution as well as his mission. So just coming back to that question, why should you leave your body? The glorious woman looked at him beseechingly. What difference if I wear a visible or invisible wave on the ocean of my spirit. How beautiful these words, you know? What difference would it make if I were a visible or an invisible wave on the ocean of my spirit? And Mataji replied with a quaint flash of wit, deathless guru, if it makes no difference, then please do not ever relinquish your form. Be it so, Babaji said solemnly, I will never leave my physical body. It will always remain visible to at least a small number of people on this earth. The Lord has spoken his own wish through your lips. Again, what Narayani was hinting at before, him trying to tune into that will, but not just saying, I'll tune into that will and you know, just I'm already with him, so I know exactly what he wants. Allowing other people I mean, it's not like Babaji needed to hear it from Mataji. And it's not even that Mataji needed to say it to Babaji. You're just seeing how they allow other people also to arrive at their own intuitive understanding. That's why the Guru will never just come and tell you, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I want, this is what you should be doing, these are the problems that you face, these are the solutions to all your problems. They want you to be able to tune in because if you're not receiving the answers, through your own intuitive capability and you're just having to hear it from outside, even if it's from the lips of your own guru, it doesn't actually make us grow. I mean, everybody knows the right path. I mean, this book is full of do this, do that. This is how you should live. This is how you shouldn't live. It's not like we're able to really mold our lives in accordance to this. Our parents told us all throughout our childhood, this is good, this is bad, do this. And many wonderful things, many ignorant things as well. But you know, nobody knows everything. But we still couldn't fulfill all of that because information and thoughts and suggestions, advice, guidance is never an external truth. Always has to come from within. And Babaji in his humility is kind of allowing that process through his own disciple that in this particular case, Ram Gopal Mazumdar were to witness and say, oh wow, look at that. Even the great Babaji is not just saying, I know everything. Even he is allowing God to speak through his own disciple, through his own sister. And I was also thinking how very few words are needed to communicate between these, you know, self-realized souls. I mean, Mataji just said, you know, just leave your body. I mean, if there, there is no difference, just leave it as it is. And Babaji says, so be it. That's all. And that's it. I mean, that's, that's the moment, just two, three words between them. And this, the, the history, you know, of the life of uh, Babaji suddenly has of a the whole huge, world. the whole world 
has a big uh, turn. So I was thinking, wow, <laughs> sometimes when I need to convey something with someone and I need to really give a great you know, reason or justification why they should, you know, why they should do it in this way. I spend so much time. I need to use so many words. I mean, it's just like, I was thinking, wow, it would be good to reach <laughs> that state where we can just communicate. This is it. You get it done. You know, you do the changes that you need to do and do, and that's all. And anyway, I really appreciated how little they exchanged. As I listened in awe, this is Ram Gopal Mazumdar again, to the conversation between these exalted beings, the great guru turned to me with a benign gesture. Fear not, Ram Gopal, he said. You are blessed to be a witness at the scene of this immortal promise. That's it. That was Ram Gopal's job. You know, there's this um, phrase or whatever, idiom or something that's called a fly on the wall. I wish I was a fly on the wall when something was happening. It just means that I just get to be a witness, a tiny little witness while something amazing is going on. And Ram Gopal Mazumdar's only job is to just be there, see these guys talking and just be like, wow, one day I'm going to tell this story to young Mukunda. And one day Mukunda is going to write it in a book. And one day millions of people will know about this story just because of Ram Gopal's presence there. As the sweet melody of Babaji's voice faded away, his form and that of Lahiri Mahashaya slowly levitated and moved backward over the Ganges. An aurora of dazzling light tempted, templed their bodies as they vanished into the night sky. Mataji's form floated to the cave and descended. The stone slab closed of itself as if working on an invisible leverage. Can think about this as you know we have our zoom meetings these days it's like they have this little meeting okay done everything has been figured out you know three seconds of a conversation everybody's already turning back into light everybody's already returning back to their respective places infinitely inspired i wended my way back to lahari mahashaya's place as i bowed before him in the early dawn my guru smiled at me understandingly I am happy for you, Ram Gopal. The desire of meeting Babaji and Mataji, which you have often expressed to me, has found at last a sacred fulfillment. My fellow disciples informed me that Lahiri Mahashaya had not moved from his dais since early the preceding evening. So his form had been there, just like Swami Pranabhananda, the saint with two bodies. So Lahiri Mahashaya as well just materialized another form to be present for that meeting while he continued to hold, whether it's his original form or not, it's beyond our understanding, but one of his forms right there. And he gave a wonderful discourse on immortality after you had left for the Dasa Samed Khat. So Lahiri Mahashaya is here talking about immortality. Ram Gopal over there is experiencing <laughs> that immortal promise of Babaji right there as it is happening. For the first time, I fully realized the truth in the scriptural verses which state that a man of self-realization can appear at different places in two or more bodies at the same time. Lahiri Mahashaya later explained to me many metaphysical points concerning the hidden divine plan for this earth. Babaji has been chosen by God to remain in his body for the duration of this particular world cycle. Ages shall come and go. Still, the deathless master, beholding the drama of the centuries, shall be present on this stage terrestrial. And that ends our chapter. Beautiful. I was thinking last night, like, how sweet that today we are reading this encounter between Mataji and Babaji, you know, mm. sister and brother, and tomorrow we have Raki. And I thought like, wow, how beautifully this story fits for today and tomorrow. And perhaps this can help for many of us to feel as Babaji's sisters and, and the role that each one of us also has to have to play for his mission. Let's just remember there is a footnote here that Mataji has also lived 
through the centuries. Mm. She is almost as far advanced spiritually as her brother. Swami Kriyananda says that once he asked Yogananda, was Mataji a self-realized master? And Yogananda replied, when they met each other in that story, in this very story, she wasn't, but by now she must be. Mm. So I don't know what to do with that, but just to, to have a greater understanding of who she was and what a state of consciousness she achieved. I mean, it says here, she still remains in ecstasy in a hidden underground cave near the, you said, there. So it would be fun perhaps to go there as a yeah. pilgrimage and I went sit there, there and I was looking really? for a stone slab and I couldn't find any just all concrete now so I hope she's not been cemented <laughs> in there <laughs> here he comes let's not come <laughs> let me out of here anyway fun I love this encounter yeah it's beautiful but we continue now we go back a little bit more in time and this is Lahiri Mahashaya's first meeting with Babaji. This is chapter 34, Materializing a Palace in the Himalayas. Babaji's first meeting with Lahiri Mahashaya is an enthralling story and one of the few which gives us a detailed glimpse of the deathless Guru. These words were Swami Kebalananda's preamble to a wondrous tale. Swami Kebalananda was the Sanskrit, Sanskrit tutor teacher. of Yogananda, also a disciple of Lahiri Mahashaya. The first time he recounted it, I was literally spellbound. On many other occasions, I coaxed my gentle Sanskrit tutor to repeat the story, which was later told me in substantially the same words by Sri Yukteswar. I love the fact that Yogananda wanted, you know, just wants to hear this story over and over and over and over again. Sometimes we hear something and we're like, yeah, I know, I already know that. Yes, yeah, you know. told me before. Yeah, you already <laughs> mentioned that to me. Babaji, Lahiri Mahashaya, they met, he got Kriya. But, you know, that's how it is. And uh, often we would remark at Swamiji towards, especially towards the end of his life, no matter what topic of a lecture or a satsang or a class or whatever he was giving, somewhere along the way, he would always come to that story of how he first met Master, no matter what was going on, how he found the autobiography, how he, you know, and sometimes your mind would be like, yeah, I've heard that before. But there's just real power in us tuning in. And that's where sometimes our minds are unable to do it. You know, you're sitting there, the mind just says, your intellect just says, I've already heard that. But just tuning into what brings these great souls together, you know, the power that would draw incarnation after incarnation for guru and disciple to keep uniting including your own story keep it alive keep sharing it you know just keep that energy even in your own heart how i came to master how i found the autobiography of a yogi what that encounter meant for me just as we read here what it meant to lahari mahashaya and what it meant to all his disciples in fact many times where when we speak with some, you know, some of us or our own friends on the path, no, who have been a bit longer and we all go through dry periods and inspiration drops a little bit, you know, it happens. Sometimes we remind each other, you know, let's go back of that, you know, to that moment when I came to the path, when I first uh, went to Ananda Center, or the first person I met, or when I read the book Autobiography of a Yogi, or, or when I heard that lecture, or when I read, uh, read that passage, what that made me, you know, how, how that transformed me, what, what was the experience that I gained how I felt and you know to keep those moments always alive even during your meditations mm. at the end of it you know just keep that feeling of joy of remembering of coming back home or just finding your spiritual family your own guru it, it just has the power to recreate energetically mentally vibrationally that in your own heart so if you have not done it yet 
try it. My first meeting with Babaji took place in my 33rd year, Lahiri Mahashaya had said. In the autumn of 1861, I was stationed in Dhanapur as a government accountant in the military engineering department. So 1861, that's 160 years. So 160 years ago, uh, Babaji and Lahiri Mahashaya met. Seems a little long, but actually not that long compared to how, how long <laughs> Babaji's been around. <laughs> One morning, the office manager summoned me. Lahiri, he, he said, a telegram has just come from our main office. You are to be transferred to Rani Khet, where an army post is now being established. With one servant, I set out on the 500-mile trip, which would be around 800 kilometers or so. Traveling by horse and buggy, we arrived in 30 days at the Himalayan site of Rani Khet. Perhaps some of you have been there to Babaji's cave before. It's a beautiful place to go and visit if you haven't. My office duties were not onerous. I was able to spend many hours roaming in the magnificent hills. A rumor reached me that great saints blessed the region with their presence. I felt a strong desire to see them. During a ramble one early afternoon, a ramble is just a leisurely walk in the countryside, I was astounded to hear a distant voice calling my name. I continued my vigorous upward climb on the Drongiri mountain. A slight uneasiness beset me at the thought that I might not be able to retrace my steps before darkness had descended over the jungle. I finally reached a small clearing whose sides were dotted, dotted with caves. On one of the rocky ledges stood a smiling young man, extending his hand in welcome. I noticed with astonishment that except for his copper-colored hair, he bore a remarkable resemblance to myself. Especially at that time, Lahiri Masha was 33, Babaji, you know, kind of maintains Somewhere around the 25 mark, none of us can tell for sure. So at that time, it would have been a very surreal experience, like, <laughs> you know, kind of really looking into a mirror and seeing yourself. And how sweet, you no, know, like that extending hand, you know, not in namaste or, you know, just, you know, welcome, just extending his own hand. I just find that visually very moving. I also want to say over here, like during the ramble, this line here, one afternoon, I was astounded to hear a distant voice calling my name. And when I was reading that, it just struck me, of course, could just be a mental makeup of my own mind, is that perhaps the great masters are constantly calling our name as well. You know, and most of the time we don't hear it. I mean, imagine if Lahiri Mahashaya, for whatever reason, his consciousness was more restless or, you know, he was in a, more, he was in a mood, <laughs> you know, he was thinking about work or whatever it was that didn't allow him to actually hear. And he would never have followed up and he would never have met Babaji. Imagine that Babaji has been doing this every year and saying, Lahiri, Lahiri. And that year he didn't hear, so Babaji said, chalo, chodo. Next year again, Lahiri. And like at the 33rd year, of course, this is all preordained. I'm just kind of making a point here of our own lives, how we've all come to the Guru, how we've all come onto the path. Maybe every year, maybe every day, the Guru's been calling, Shurcho, Shurcho, Narayani. And it just is when we are able to hear that, then we're able to follow. And on the other hand, it's important for us then to kind of try to be in readiness always to hear that sound. And we have a technique called the Om technique for those of us who practice it, about listening to those subtle sounds inside of the astral body. And it starts to help us attune to this whisper of God. So that one day when Shurjo, Shurjo, whatever is being called, we actually hear it and our minds are not completely dense to these subtler kind of soul calls. Which brings a little bit coming back to that paragraph when Lahiri Mahashaya is describing like, you know, actually I had a lot of free time. Yeah. And what did, what did I do with that free time? I just walked. 
and I went to the forest, and I was with myself, and I was far from socializing, and I was far from, you know, watching TV or doing this, or, you know, keeping myself busy with other, you know, lesser uh, duties or lesser activities that inspired him. So he just walked. And I think that's an important aspect of us as disciples. I mean, to take ourselves to those places where the chances for the guru to talk to us and for us to listen to that voice would be easier than just bringing ourselves to a restaurant, to the mall, to the theater, to just a party, because then it will be very difficult to hear that silent voice. So, so I think for many of us, how are we spending our free time? What are we doing with that? Are we going to an environment where we can draw and we can listen that voice more easily? Good questions for us to ponder. introspect and ponder. Lahiri, you have come. The saint addressed me affectionately in Hindi. Rest here in this cave. It was I who called you. I entered a neat little grotto which contained several woolen blankets and a few kamandalus begging bowls. Lahiri, do you remember that seat? The yogi pointed to a folded blanket in one corner. No, sir. <laughs> Somewhat dazed at the strangeness of my adventure, I added, I, I must leave now before nightfall. I have business in the morning at my office. You know, suddenly, like, suddenly he starts to realize, who is this guy? And, you know, why is he pointing at this little, he's brought me into this really strange, dark cave. Now is the time to get out of here. And it's just how our minds are. Right? It's so easily they get restless. You're here, you're really enjoying this moment. And then suddenly, ah, oh, but, you know, this project is there and that thing needs to be done. And immediately I need to send WhatsApps to my friends or mm -hmm. so on and so forth. How easy it can be for us even in a state of deep inspiration by past habit of restlessness to begin just to veer in that direction. Yeah. The mysterious saint replied in English, the office was brought for you and not you for the office. I was dumbfounded that this forest ascetic could not only speak English, but also paraphrase the words of Christ. So this is from the Bible where Christ says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day of rest in the Jewish tradition of Saturday. And nobody is allowed to do absolutely anything by law on Saturday, on Sabbath. It's a very interesting site. Do you remember when we oh, were yeah. at the elevator? We've, yeah. you know, we've been to Israel twice on pilgrimage to all these sites of Christ. And in the hotels that we were staying in, there is a Sabbath Saturday. elevator. And the job of the Sabbath elevator is to open at every floor while going up and open at every floor while going down, just so that you don't do the work of pressing a button. So, you know, it's like, it's that serious. Sabbath matlab no work at all. So, if you're on Saturday and you need to go up, you just get into that elevator. Pung, it'll open on the first floor. Pung, it'll open on the second. And if you need to go to the 16th floor, you have to, you have to be patient on Sabbath all the way up. But that's it. All, you know, it's just a Jewish tradition. From Friday when the sun sets, they even have to cook the food before on Friday what they're going to eat on Saturday because they can't work on Saturday. They can't do anything on Saturday. So here it is back in the time of Christ. Christ heals somebody on Sabbath day. And the man he heals, I think he was lame, like he couldn't mm -hmm. walk. And so he tells this man, get up and pick up your, you know, your, he was sleeping on the side of a road. He was homeless. He says, pick up your bedding and walk. And the man picks up his bedding and suddenly his legs are healed and he starts to walk. And the priests get really upset at this man and saying, it's Sabbath, how dare you carry this bedding, you know? How dare you do work on the day of Sabbath, so you must be punished. And this man says, no, I didn't do anything, it was him. So they come up to Christ and they say, you know, how dare you tell somebody to do work and why are you doing miracles on Sabbath day, you know? And that's when Christ says, Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. Everything in this world is made for us. What was the purpose of Sabbath? A day of rest 
which as we practice it, a day of seclusion, a day of interiorization, a day where after you've been busy the entire week, the concept of Sabbath comes from the Genesis when God created the world in six days and then on the seventh day he rested. So that's kind of the idea here that on that day you do nothing but contemplate God. You be with God, you sing to God, you read about God, you just spend that whole day. But it's made for us because that's what's going to help us. When these very things become rigid and the rules and they become, if you don't do this, then we lose that spirit. And now Sabbath actually serves no purpose except to make us worried and now I have to cook before, I can't press buttons in an elevator. And the whole point of that, the beauty of that day is just entirely lost. So here it is when uh, Larry Masha says, I have to go to office because, you know, office is so important and I have so much business and I'm so important. I'm an important man who does important office work. But you think (laughs) about it, I mean, Babaji was already giving him the first lesson. Almost, you know, the first teaching. This is it, you know, start from here. If you get this right, you have understood everything. So I, I, I'm finding fascinating that this was the first, first lesson. <laughs> lesson that Lahiri Mahashaya had to realize. So there it was. The office was brought for you, not you for the office. We're not made for the work that we do. The work we do helps us. Going to work gives us discipline. Going to work gives us willpower. Going to work gives us concentration. Those are the qualities that this is helping us develop. But we have to understand what it's helping us develop, not work of itself, the money for itself. It's what is it going to allow me to grow into, to awaken into, and so on and so forth. And then the fun part is Babaji speaking English there, and Larry Mashaya also speaking English, which is lovely. And then Larry Mashaya knowing that these words are from the Bible, are from Christ which also suggests that he already had familiarity with Jesus' teachings, which I find beautiful. You know, just our path, just from the very beginning, you just see that. We saw in the previous chapter, um, Sri Yukteswar in his ashram, teaching the Bible to all his disciples. And, you know, we've created such a uh, Bible, ye hai, ye Gita, ye hai, and Quran, you know, we just, we can't just see God is speaking to us through so many different ways. And that's why when Narayani did the prayer in the beginning, and we do the same prayer, it's always, you know, after our mass, just saints of all religions. This is something our Guru really inculcated in us. Saints are the custodians of truth. And it's always to saints that we look. In anything, if you have any question, look to the life of a saint. I love in the Christian tradition that every day of the year is dedicated to a certain saint. And then they have patron saints of, you know, if you've lost something, pray to this saint. Mm-hmm. If you need to go on an overseas trip, you have to pray to this saint. If your pet is unwell, you pray to this saint. So they've just created, you know, those saints who had an affinity for animals, those saints who were able to, you know, manifest plants whatever, well. and plants, plants as well, and so on and so forth. And it's just such a beautiful way to live. Oh, you know, I'm going through this issue. Which saint should I attune to? who also went through this and overcame. And also to reinforce once again the unity between Babaji and Christ. Mm. And of course, you know, channeling the same teaching of Sanatan Dharma, you know, the underlying unity between Christianity and Hinduism. So, of course, Babaji had to say those <laughs> words because they they meant to mean that and the fact that he chose Christ is just like this is it we are working together we are just spreading uh, a message of unity and definitely I you know have the authorization no, to yeah say it's just beautiful that. I see my telegram took effect the yogi's remark were incomprehensible to me I inquired his meaning I refer to the telegram that summoned you to these isolated parts. It was I who silently suggested to the mind of your superior officer that you be transferred to Rani Ket. When one feels his unity with mankind, all minds become transmitting stations through which he can work at will. 
Wow, huh? Again, I guess, you know, you come to this moment, you're just like, maybe Babaji's putting thoughts in everyone's minds that are guiding and directing everything in my life. You just make Babaji so real. You see over here, he wants Lahiri Mahashaya here. All he has to do is suggest a thought into the mind of his superior officers. Let's transfer him to Rani Khet. You know, an, an entire organization's wheels churn and move just to make that one thing possible. Master Guru made this astounding comment once about World War II. And he said it was Babaji who placed the thought in Hitler's mind to divide his armies and start the war on two fronts, which meant in the beginning, Hitler was just moving towards Europe and he was doing a very good job and he was winning and he was just conquering every country he went into. But suddenly he decided against the advice of all his generals that he wants to now also start towards Russia, which means he had to split his army, start moving towards Russia. Until that time, Russia hadn't entered the war because Russia said, we're not bothered. <laughs> Europe is being devastated, you know, great for us. But because Hitler did that, divided his forces and opened up another front, another war, that is when little by little the tide of the war begin to change. So imagine that, just kind of placing that thought in somebody's mind. It, it reminds me of the movie Inception. You know, have you seen that movie Inception? To get into their subconscious mind and, but you have to place the most simplistic of thoughts. You know, it was, just, it was a beautifully conceived movie. You just have to place it right there that the person needs to fully allow and accept. So it has to be in attunement with who that person is. Hitler had the attunement of the pride of his forces and he thought he's unconquerable and nothing can happen to him. That is why that thought was able to germinate through him. So it's not like Babaji is just going to come into our minds and force his will into us. His own will comes in alignment with what our natural personalities or what our natural tendencies are anyway. And then he allows that to blossom through our own actions. And our, you know, Hitler could very easily have listened to his generals and realized common sense and said, oh, you're right, let's just do this because this makes sense. But, you know, his hubris didn't allow him to do that. And Babaji knew that that's how he will go. So there it is, Babaji using minds all around for each one of his disciples. Isn't that a fabulous, fabulous, wonderful way to feel about anybody you meet? Everyone is a transmitting station for Babaji. You know, so every person I meet could potentially be the right channel that Babaji is using for me towards my spiritual growth. And when we look at life that way, you know, that's discipleship, just open to that flow of the Guru through every circumstance, every moment, every breath, every idea, every word, trying to feel what could it be? What could Babaji be trying to communicate with me today? Anything you want to end? Because this might be the place to close. Are we going to read the next should paragraph? I? Should or I? Not? Okay. Okay. Where are we? Hazaimante. Lahiri, yeah, there we go. Lahiri, surely this cave seems familiar to you. As I maintained a bewildered silence, the saint approached and struck me gently on the forehead. Boom. At this magnetic touch, a wondrous current swept through my brain, releasing the sweet seed memories of my previous life. I remember. My voice was half choked with joyous sobs. You are my Guru Babaji, who has belonged to me always. Do you want to say something? I was thinking of that word, remember. I mean, and how Lahiri Mahashaya just was half choked with joyous sobs. I remember the first time I attended a concert in Ananda. I had no idea what that music did to me, but one thing for sure is that it opened my heart and I remembered that I belonged to this path. I have found home. I knew this is what I was looking for, 
and, and, and I had that soul memory. This is it. And that memory brought tears to my eyes. And actually not tears. I mean, I was sobbing throughout that concert. And I know I wasn't crying because I was sad or because suddenly, you know, I, I was healing from something. Not at all. I was remembering. I was having an intuitive perception and memory of what it means to really go back home where you always belonged. And that was the touch of Babaji for me, of my guru to me, through that music, through that recognition, soul recognition. So Babaji or your own guru can come through you in so many unique ways. And he will use books, and he will use people, he will use discourses, he will use music, he will use, I don't know. I your mean, own suffering. Your own suffering, indeed. And, but when that awakening comes, and I'm not talking about an awakening or suddenly seeing all your chakras, you know, <laughs> see just these lights and these visions and your body, you know, levitating. No, I'm talking about the real experience of knowing and finding your path and therefore your guru. So I would say start looking for those moments because when that soul recognition happens, when that touch happens and, and the soul says, wow, I have come, this is it, stick to it stick to it because that's really the real beginning of your evolution and that's the moment when you are even if it's not officially but you are saying to your guru i'm ready to do the job i'm ready to start uh, transforming my life and i'm ready for your presence in my life so let's all start paying attention to those little moments and remember you know what that means for us lovely well we'll mm -hmm. pick it up from here again there's I'm <laughs> so sure, much yeah more, there's yeah. many layers to that little moment of that touch and that opening but that story is beautiful so uh, let's end here for now and we'll pick it up fortunately we have 52 yes, more, more weeks to continue so there's times not the limit. Babaji is going to hold his body for many centuries, so we can also go on for many centuries. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to have